Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'm still here, I'm Brad, and I'm joined by my C&I dog, Stu. How are we doing, Stu? Rough. I see what I did. Don't cross that, don't, yeah, <laughs> don't cross that road. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no, no, I, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm doing pretty well, can't complain. Excellent, excellent. Um, I, I actually can't either. Getting more into that in a little bit, but still, I haven't really played it. Well, I haven't really played. I haven't played anything for the last week, so I'm living through my kids again. So I'll, I'll touch on that. So I'm hoping you've played something, Stu. I have, but again, not much. But that won't stop me rambling about them uh, for as long as you need. So that's fine. Um, the first is well, basically two games that I've been playing on the original Game Boy. So. I've been, as you know, getting consoles in, modding them, selling them on. And I've got a Game Boy Light, which is a rare Japanese model, Japanese-only model of the Game Boy. Basically the same as the Game Boy Pocket, but it's got an, a really cool green backlit screen. That's um, the first Game Boy that ever had one. So, yeah, that's not bad. So on that, I've been playing a couple of games. And one of them, the first one, is R-Type. So... Obviously, everybody knows what R-Type is. If you don't, it's a horizontal shooter. It's basically thought of as one of the pinnacles of the genre, along with Gradius, or Gradius, or however you want to pronounce it. And, yeah, on the Game Boy, obviously, there's some compromises, because it's just a tiny little monochrome thing that's not much more powerful than a Speccy. But it works really, really well. It's a great conversion of it. So the, the principal change is that the sprites are much larger, which is ironic, obviously, because larger the sprites, the more memory and you know, little handheld devices can't cope with that very well. But because, obviously, you wouldn't be able to see anything if they weren't bigger, it's made them bigger. So there are a couple of technical glitches now and again, flickering sprites, but it does it really, really well. So it, it's got a smaller play space, bigger sprites, less manoeuvrability, but it's sort of dialed down the sort of shot count from the enemies so that there's fewer bullets and lasers coming at you but that means that the environmental stuff so avoiding stuff basically has been ramped up because it's a smaller area and bigger sprites so it plays slightly differently and all the timings are different but it's done it in a way that they've been really of they're really cautious of it because they they obviously iron when they were developing it realized this would be the case so They've rebalanced things really, really well, so it, it works. And it doesn't feel unfair. It doesn't feel too easy. It's just, it's just you know, a Goldilocks thing of everything's just right. And I've never played it before, and it's a really early Game Boy release. So it was. it's nice to have a go on that. It's, it's a, a strange curio from the past that uh, is nice to touch upon. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure I played this on original hardware i might be wrong but i'm fairly sure my uncle had it because he was a big fan of defender um so i i man of taste mm, I'm, I'm fairly sure he he had this and i played it on the original game boy and yeah it was good yeah now i've played it since via emulator on a raspberry pi setup and stuff like that using the um like the screen overlays and everything for it and it was still really really good and i actually think i preferred it personally to the main r type because mm. i was better at it yeah yeah no that's t totally fine i think you don't really see because you don't have arcades anymore 
you don't often see different versions arrive on different consoles. So, like, if they want a game to come out on Switch, they'll build it for the Switch, and then it'll be identical on, you know, every platform, you know, like Hades. But, um, yeah, obviously in the past, versions between consoles could be, you know, infinitely different. Um, the Robocop games, like, every single one was developed for its host platform. Uh, yeah. So it's fascinating, yeah, and and that one, this version, yeah, I can well imagine you liking it more than others. It it works really, really well. It is easier. It's less punishing, but that doesn't mean it's easy at all. Uh, mm. But yeah, no playing it on original hardware is great, and I tend to emulate everything, with a couple of exceptions, and that's the, the main exception is hardware, uh, handheld hardware, like because I like to be able to just sit down and play sat down on the sofa doing bugger all other than just a little world of my own in my hands kind of thing if that's not too rude yeah no, yeah uh definitely it's um it's one of those things i've i, I one of my favorite consoles of all time is the gba yeah uh, i think it's an amazing console especially it's backwards compatible with game boy games and everything as well but it kind of it felt like a next gen handheld because I mean handhelds at the time were very very basic um so it did feel like it upped the game a little bit and the one that really did it for me and I remember playing was the uh Tony Hawk's conversion oh yeah and um, it was basically the exact same levels but it was in like this isometric view um, almost like a really updated 720 um, and it was just so good to play now i emulated that um over the over like later years and stuff like that on a bigger screen and yeah it loses something it really does you look at it and go oh my god it actually looks awful yeah but it didn't at the time at the time it looked amazing it's not just through retro eyes it's when i played it again on an sp it looked good again and it was like no this was designed for this hardware and this hardware only and I've got an RG350M that was sent to me kindly. Um, I've not been able to use yet. And I'll be interested to see how it looks and plays on a similar size screen to the GBA, but with higher fidelity, well, obviously a higher fidelity screen. Yeah. But yeah, some things definitely only work on original hardware, especially when it comes to older handhelds. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they, like you said, they work well on newer handhelds uh, as well. But what they don't tend to work very well on is uh, is the big screen. And uh, it's why I never bothered with the Super Game Boy when that came out for the, uh, for the Super Nintendo, where you could... Mm. plug it in and then just play Game Boy cartridges in it because I just thought well you know if I want to play those I'll play I'll play them on the hardware but um, yeah no it'd be interesting to see how it handles it on that little handheld device so that device that you got did, did you ever find out who sent it to you? Nope God that's really weird isn't it? Hello I put it I mean I, it, there was nothing in it there was no markings or, or anything the only thing I can think is maybe it has come directly or something like that because um, there's um, Andy Hamilton on Twitter. He picked up one of the uh, retro machines and he was playing Brian Lava Cricket on it. And I was mentioning stuff on there about, about it, but that's the only mention I've made of it. So 
whether it's come from just someone who's aware of us or something like that, whether it's a family member, a, an actual, you know, a, non, a friend who isn't anything to do with mental health gaming or forums or anything like I haven't got a clue. Um, so whoever did send it, even if it's the company themselves, thank you. I've not spoke much about it because I haven't been able to play it yet because of my eyes. Um, but honestly, thank you. It means the world. Uh, completely loaded up as well. Wow. Um, I don't know if I can say that, but yeah, no, completely loaded up with, with stuff, but not Brian Lava Cricket, which is disappointing. No. That's how I like probably wasn't Andy Hamilton himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, was the box all sealed up when you got it or was it opened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it must be from the company then. Must be, but I didn't realise we was big enough for stuff like that. No. When I, oh, no, because addresses available in my emails and stuff like that, but I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how they got my address or what, so... Mm. Well, who knows? Oh, I know. Mind you, yeah, no, actually, I know how they'll get my how they would get my address. I'm obviously not going to advertise how they could do it, but yeah, I just realised how you can do that. Okay, okay, yeah. Oh, cool. That's through my card in the phone box. <laughs> yeah, I can just imagine you with little tassels on your nipples. They're fantastic. Imagine you've got the photo. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you need to have some sort of bribery stuff ready in the background just in case. It's actually really funny. Um, I know this is slightly off topic. Uh, My partner got one of those um, emails sent to her. Do you know the ones that go, um, oh, I've been looking at your, I've been able to view your internet history and what what sites you're viewing, watching you via your webcam and what you do, you naughty person. So if you send me 3,500 Bitcoin, I will destroy the evidence I have or I will send it to all your friends and co-workers. I've got one of those. You often get those, they go straight to your junk, she saw it, and she went, this is quite funny. Uh, but I went, yeah, 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 no, it is. And she went, shall I respond? And just go, go on then. Yeah. Do you want a list of the sites we frequent? But it, it always reminds me of a story of a, a, someone who shall remain nameless, who was um, contacting me about their email. And they was going, oh, Brad, has my email been hacked? I was like, Shouldn't have been. Why? Um, oh, well, I've had this, 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 this email come. It was general gist of one of those, and I was like, "No, no, it's fine. All via text." And this, he's getting back to me really quickly every single time. But God, I'm really panicked. You know, um, what if they're trying to? You know, do I send? Well, I don't want to send money. Obviously, I went, "No, no, it's a, it's a scam email." Well, how do you know? Look, they've said what my password is. I said, "You've probably had a compromised password somewhere else." But obviously, that's not a problem. And I'm reading the email. He's getting really panicky, texting me every few seconds. Oh, oh no, I'm really worried, really worried, really worried. I was like, okay, so I said, right, listen, hang on. The problem is, right, you shouldn't worry. As long as you've not been visiting any sites like this with your webcam on and doing stuff, there, there shouldn't be a problem. So have you? Five minutes passed before the next reply <laughs> um, with a no. So I was like, well, you shouldn't have a problem then. But it was like, everything was instant, 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 instant. Oh, crap. <laughs> that's, that's almost how it went. And it's always, it tickled me. Uh, but yeah, that always makes me laugh. Uh, but anyway, video games. Yeah. So the second one I've been playing, uh, unsurprisingly another Game Boy game, is uh, Donkey Kong 94. Uh, I don't think it was actually officially called Donkey Kong 94. It's just, it came out in 94. So that's how people separate it. How long before country was that? Two years? Uh, ooh, I guess it must have been because it was, yeah, something like that. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Mm. Yeah, because I never played those games, so I don't have a good 
thing in my mind of, of when they came out. No, they were kind of late-ish in the SNES life cycle, weren't they? Yeah, because it was around because it came out around the time just before PlayStation One came out, and it was like graphics that blew you away at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it must have been ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, yeah, probably. But um, yeah, so it it's a real surprise this new Donkey Kong. I say new; it's twenty five years old, but new to the Donkey Kong franchise, and it's really, really surprising. So it keeps the format of the original game in that it's a single screen and you have to go uh, work your way up generally, but we'll come to that to the top and you know rescue Daisy was it? Did they, was it Daisy at that point or Peach? Can't remember. But um, yeah. Oh, gamer cred going I can't remember. It was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you have to go up and rescue uh, let's just call her Daisy. So generic, generic princess. Yes, gen- generic lady. She's not even a princess in this game. She's just a woman. No. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was in the original either. No, no. So there you go. What's the point? But um, yeah, so you have to work your way to the top of the screen, avoiding the stuff that Donkey Kong is chucking down at you. But then it kind of segues into having lots of different environmental and switch puzzles and other types of puzzles in the next levels so it go, it has like stuff where you have to get around and touch certain panels on the floor whilst avoiding enemies uh, to complete the level or uh, you have to collect certain items and then open doors with them like you know get keys or whatever uh, and yeah no it's really really clever and it has a couple of new mechanics it has one where like you can tap down and you stand on your head, and then when you press jump, you do like a great big flip backwards. Uh, it's also got a running back flip, like it has in uh, Mario 64 and a lot of the games since, uh, if you've got enough space and speed to, to get up to that speed and do it. Uh, but it still has stuff like carries over, like the hammer from the from the original game, where you're running around it automatically hammers stuff. But you can press a release button, and the hammer will fly up in the air, and you can climb up the ladder to the next level and catch it. So it's like, ah, oh, right, because you can't like climb with the hammer, you know. Mm. Um, so it's got all sorts of really excellent little touches, and I'm just amazed I never played it. But I suppose by '94 I didn't have a Game Boy, like an original Game Boy or a Game Boy Color, and so yeah, it just passed me by. But it's well worth picking up. So yeah, fantastic, pick it up and have a go if you can. So was this an actual release title? Because I've never heard of it either. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really good. It it picks up lots of innovations from Mario World and from some of the other stuff like Mario Three, and stuff that will then be also seen in in Mario sixty four, which came out a couple mm. years after, obviously. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it's official and it's it's really good. But I guess it just was because it was so late on. Um, and it's not actually a Game Boy Color release. It doesn't have the color branding on the cart. Uh, yeah. So it must have been overlooked. Yeah. It's it's really weird to think back to those days, like that 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 the nineties into the two thousands, and just how much the face of gaming changed. Like you look at some late Game Boy releases, and then you look at the date, and then you look at the date the PlayStation One came out, for example, and it's just like. How, how was this released around the time or after this was released? It's just made... You, it's very hard to... Like, if you used to look at those games as a historian, 
trying to piece together how they were both released in the same era just makes no sense whatsoever when you look at what today's is. Yeah. Uh, but I know we're retreading um, almost in a way, sort of like what we spoke about earlier. But, you know, being blown away by Ridge Racer, how, how amazing that looked, 3D graphics and everything. Yet it wasn't long before that that you were playing OutRun. And games like that, which sort of like looked amazing, like blue skies, everything, you know, trademark, but were flat still, just full of life and colour, but flat. And then you had these amazing 3D realisations. And then you look at when Gran Turismo was actually released and it's like, just wow, that's just, it just, yeah, it's very hard to comprehend. It's like going, hey, do you know these Romans? They made these like these these pots and these rows, and they were really innovative. But they also built the first computer. It's, it's almost what it feels like at times. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's staggering. The the, um, the the level of like animation and the the sprite work in in Donkey Kong ninety four is really impressive for such a. I mean, the Game Boy had no power at all. You know, it was so basic comparatively. Yeah. But they they managed to squeeze so much out of it, and I guess that's the reason why you know, like you were saying about the Game Boy Advance, it it felt like such a massive step because we'd had the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color, which is pretty much the same thing, for like eleven or twelve years between that and yeah. and uh, the Advance. So it was yeah a huge leap. Um, but yeah, no, what they got out of the Game Boy was was pretty incredible. But they're still doing it because I keep getting emails from new Kickstarters and it seems to be a bit of a renaissance at the moment where people are retro-making brand new games for Game Boy hardware. Yeah. You know, I haven't got the list of emails with me because they're just Kickstarters, so I'm reading and making a note of them and, and then deleting the emails until later because I can't afford to kickstart everything that looks good. Yeah. Um, but... People are still making stuff. But when you see some of the ideas, you see what they're getting out of the original hardware. It's like, wow. Yeah. It's a really good idea. You know, they're going to make physical carts and stuff like that. And it's better than, you know, I've played games like, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's like a little weird cat sprite dingy. Um, and it's like done in like a Game Boy screen. But it's obviously it's a sort of like designed Game Boy screen and the game the graphics look right, but clearly it's moving with modern technology to help get more out of it. So it runs at like more frames per second and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, it's like right. I get what you're going for. The aesthetic is there, which is really great. I, I do like it. Um, but I think people have made games recently for like the Mega Drive and things like that, and it's like I, I love seeing that. Yeah, uh, I, I absolutely love it. Um, and it's although you can get machines made that will take original cartridges and pretty much have the original hardware condensed into like a chip, don't they? So they can run them all in a single console and stuff. That's and right. It's just like, yeah, I love that stuff. I live for that stuff at times. Yeah, it's really clever. I really like the fact that people are doing that, and I think it's really important as well to help retain the heritage because. Like you said, I think it's more important with certain generations. Like after you get get past the hmm, where where we should cut it off, I think sort of PS3 and, and Xbox 360 is kind of the mm-hmm. cut off in a way because they 
consoles start to resemble PCs at that point, you know, and they can yes. be emulated by PCs as long as they're powerful enough. And yeah. they do have some quirks in their design that means that it's not just straightforward. But, you know, once they're ready, once the emulation's there, you can chuck them in your PC and you're okay. Whereas prior to that, when they were cartridge-based and when they were like in 16-bit era, but <clears throat> even like the PS1, there were so many quirks that you kind of need to actually use that hardware to get really uh, get a proper feel of them. Yeah. And, you know, definitely from the, the PlayStation and Saturn era and earlier, it's like that. And, uh, yeah, no, it's really important, I think, that they have FPGAs, you know, which are these programmable chips where you can just tell them to be uh, a, a console. <laughs> and, yeah, so that you can just stick the original games in them and off you go. Yeah. And I do like looking back. It's um, I mean, to, to, to carry on back, I think, back to last week's discussion where we was talking about the best Marios, which actually caused some discussion, which I was quite pleased about. Yeah. And I like Adam. He agrees with me. I've <laughs> um, <laughs> um, had my son reading out, uh, my, my partner reading out messages for me um, to pick up on stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, so... One of my favourite 2D Marios, I can't remember if I've mentioned this before, but is um, and it kind of fits in with the games you've been playing, is Super Mario Land on the Game Boy. Yeah, it's a corker, yeah. Now, I know a lot of people don't remember it fondly, or they or they sort of look back on it and go, oh, it clearly isn't as good as the other big boy Marios and stuff like that. Um, but for me, it was one of the first ones I played religiously. Um and I can't remember ever sort of like having any kind of save point in it. And I don't know if there was password saves or anything, but I never used them because it was always when I went around my nan's house and I got my uncle's Game Boy and I'd play it on that after having like a go of tennis and golf. Uh, do you remember when games were named tennis and golf, by the way? <laughs> I do. Yeah, we still had Mario in them as like the umpire or as a playable character. That was, yeah, that was, those, those were days. But I, yeah, I loved Super Mario Land. It was difficult. Um, you, it was almost one of the first, I think, pixel perfect platformers. Because I remember if you like, it was brutal at some points where if you did miss a pixel, it it would go, ah, no, you're dead now. Yeah. And it had the underwater level where you had this little submarine thing, and it was, yeah, I just really it, that at the time it was, it was like the idea of playing a Mario on a handheld. See, that seems like kids today would go, well, yeah, and... But to me, it was like, oh, my God, an actual Mario game on a handheld. It was, yeah, but I love that. that that's well up there on my favourite 2D. I'm still behind Mario, Super Mario World, but it's it's definitely right up there as one of my favourite. Yeah, I, one of the best things about Nintendo is that they never really chuck away any ideas or sort of paths, you know, and they're they're always willing to go back to them. And they don't think genres are too old or too played out. They find little ways to to make them great. And um, I think, yeah, Super Mario Land might have been a bit of a B-team sort of production. But it's got enough quirks and and oddities in it. Like, you know, the little final little ship and shooting and stuff. Yeah. You know, to make it really stand out, yeah. I would pay £10 to Nintendo if they added a Super Mario Land kit to Super Mario Maker 2. Just putting it out there. Yeah, that's a really good idea, actually. The the final thing on all this Game Boy talk, 
um, is to touch on IPS screens as well. So yes. uh, I've managed to sort out a, uh, a an original Game Boy from Japan because it was ironically cheaper. And the reason that like it's cheaper is because it's, there's been an explosion over here in, in people getting the original Game Boy. So on eBay, like they cost... You know, a broken one will cost you 30 quid. So they've, they've really spiked in price. And I think it's because you can buy these IPS kits now that are not just the new screen, the, the IPS LCD screen, but you get the body as well, the shell of a Game Boy, and really good quality. And all you need is the donor, as the donor, is the main board from the original Game Boy. So I think that means that, you know, They've, they've really spiked because those IPS screens are just phenomenally good like um, as I said before on another podcast I as a present I put one in my wife's Game Boy Advance SP and it just looks unbelievably good so yeah there's been a real huge kind of reinvestment in it uh, and it's partly because you know there's no there's much less flicker and there's no smearing uh, when this yeah. when they scroll, so it's like getting and like playing those games uh, like all over again, but properly. <laughs> so it's actually worth going back to um, with that with that new hardware. Yeah, I I, I want to get a little collection of retro. Um, well, not even retro. I don't really care for the Game Gear. I like the Game Gear. Um, we watched uh, Euro '96 on a Game Gear when I was in Army Cadets. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, someone brought one in because it was on. What the hell? You get a TV adapter for this thing? Yeah, so we all watched probably about 10 minutes of it before we all had to panic and find a power outlet um, to go, oh my God, it's dead. Um, so yeah, we all watched Euro 96 on a Game Gear at Army Cadets once. Nice. But I, I want like the original Game Boy and I want a Game Boy um, Pocket and a Game Boy Color, a Game Boy, all the, like, the advances. I do want a collection of all of those, not necessarily to play, just because I want them to put them on a shelf in a way because they are beautiful, but to also get them down and play them at times because I think they were such an important part of gaming history. Um, exactly. When you look yeah. back, because I think without the success of the Game Boy range, you don't get the DS. And without the DS, you don't get the Switch. And without Nintendo's innovation, you don't get a PlayStation. You don't then get Microsoft entering the fray like they did. And God knows how far behind gaming would be in terms of popularity these days. I think it would still be a underground movement almost. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do... I do I do want to get all those, and I do. I would like get them and get like the screens all put in them, so they're they're better fidelity. However, have you tested whether one of the new IPS screens can take a dart to it and still work? Funnily enough, no, I've not had a go at that yet because the original Game Boy can. But as I remember, my uncle's one. I went round one weekend to my nan's and sort of like picked it up, and I was like, "Oh no, there's a hole in it." <laughs> it was like, and they went, "Yeah, we was playing darts, and like one of us." Like it bounced out and went straight through the Game Boy. Oof, uh, nice. So there's this hole right through the plastic into the screen. Yeah. And yeah, it still worked. But I mean, the joke was obviously like the Game Boys will be the only things along with cockroaches that survive nuclear holocaust. Yeah, they are like tanks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Are. Yeah, they, I mean, you talk about like the brick Game Boy, it wasn't because of the shape of them. 
It was because they people used to tie notes to them and throw them through windows. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and that's why it's the house that Nintendo built because they was all built out of Game Boys as well. I mean, I could go on forever with puns, but I don't think I will. Very good. It's also because it's also because I've just run out of puns. I was just making it sound like I had loads. <laughs> I see right through you, Bradley. <laughs> yes, most people do. <laughs> so that discovers like living vicariously through the kids. Daughter completed another level of Super Mario 3D world nice one she was really pleased about so i got another big high another big high five from her she got a little bit of help from her brother this time because there was an awkward bit Uh, but nope she did it but we sat down and we watched well i can't i try i I saw moving colors on a screen and listened Uh, but she watched the recent nintendo direct which i believe is the first full direct in about a year um, from Nintendo. I know they've had loads of minis and indie showcases, but I believe this is their first full direct, obviously because of the pandemic. Yeah. And yeah, lots of excitement. She's really excited for Mario Golf. Um, but she seems obsessed with Mario at the moment, which is yeah, great. That I was at that age. Well, maybe a little bit older, but probably a fair bit older when we look at it. But I oh, know I was I was young. I was young. But yeah, she's obsessed with Mario at the moment. Um, got really, really excited at the news that Fall Guys is coming in the summer. I bet she did. Yeah, she loves Fall Guys and yeah, she'll play that on, on her Switch. And also Monster Hunter, she wants. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, that's a strange um, got, choice, but you know, that's her choice. It's got because it's got it's got dinosaurs in it. She likes dinosaurs as okay. well. Okay. Right. But yeah, no, she's really excited about what she's seen. And Splatoon, she got really excited at the Splatoon 3 reveal because she's played, she's played, like, seen us play it and she really likes, like, the colours and obviously with Splatoon she saw that. And she, like, came up and she said, what's that, Dad? And I went, it's Splatoon 3. She went, Splatoon 3! Wow! Oh, my goodness! It's like, okay, calm down. (laughs) So, yeah, she's making a list of games that she wants this year. And it's just great seeing her now begin to understand what games are and loving them like I love them. My son's he's he he likes games, but he's very much stuck on he'll play Minecraft and um Call of Duty and things like that with his mates. So he's got maybe about four or five games that he rotates. Uh, whereas me, you know, I, I love everything. I'll play loads, you know. He doesn't he doesn't even make use a game pass. He'll he'll what he, I suppose he does because he'll have a quick go or something and then go back to what he likes. But yeah, no, my daughter, she's all over it. She everything, she she'll play everything. Um, she's allowed to. Um, she needs help with a lot of it, but yeah. she, you know, she'll go and play um, Animal Crossing for an hour um, and just sit there and just potter around. She hasn't even like completed any of the tasks, but she just potters around the island. And she got again really excited about the uh, the Mario crossover coming to Animal Crossing. And it's just great seeing her. I think where she's got access to it all, as much as she has, she's just grown into it. And yeah, it's it's wonderful seeing. I can't wait to introduce her via the RG three fifty to some of like the old the old SNES Mario games and even stuff like Donkey Kong Country. I wasn't the biggest fan, but I think it would be great for her to see it playing the original Sonic columns and like showing them like oh, i used to get all these free packs and like of, of games that came with the console and alex kid and, and all of those uh yeah i just can't wait for her to see all of those properly but it's just great seeing her at now she's i mean she's four just over four and she's getting just so excited about it all 
That's really great. It, it's it's brilliant when kids get into it that way, especially you know when it's um it's based around just exploring those worlds, you know, being part of the worlds yeah. rather than completing any tasks. That's fantastic. And uh, there's something about handhelds that's a great leveler in gaming. Like yeah. visuals and frame rates and all that stuff really matters in to some people in the bigger consoles and stuff like that. But on handhelds, you don't care what they look like as long as the game's good and you can actually see what's going on. That's kind of all you need. And that's a brilliant way for kids to get into gaming so that they don't just chase the, the next thing and the next set of graphics. So they're actually enjoying, you know, what's actually going on in front of them. Well, you say that, but she did turn around to me yesterday. Well, father, I think you'll find that the game I've just been playing, it dropped below 60 frames per second for a whole three seconds. I really struggled. Well, they're so advanced these days, kids, aren't they? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but no, they don't. kids don't care about frame rates or even graphics. It's They just enjoy games. and It's one of the things I'm grateful about that I've never grown out of. And I... I, I I don't despair because everyone can enjoy everything how they want, but it does sadden me a little bit when you see some people play a game and then go, oh, I'm not playing it anymore because it's only 30 frames per second. It's like, come on, really? You, you, you know, maybe you've admitted you've enjoyed that game, but now because it's a 30 frames per second, you're going, oh, no, I'm not going to enjoy it. It's like, I get some people are susceptible to it, but to completely dismiss something. And I've been guilty of it. I refuse to play Grid 2. Um, because it didn't have an internal car view. And I'd look at it and go, that's petty, because I actually still quite enjoyed playing it in the end when I played it. So, I, I, yeah, the pettiness over over some things. Don't get me wrong, a racing game that's not 60 frames per second doesn't play as well as one that is 60 frames per second, but it doesn't make it a bad game. I will go back to Grid, 30 frames per second, and it still played really well because they built it around that. So I think always, as long as the game's built around doing it in that way, it works. But it also comes down to marketing. I think it needs all the um, the publishers. I'm not going to put this down on the developers as such, but it needs the publishers to stop promising breaking barriers in the way they do. Break those barriers because innovation leads to more innovation. But stop overselling what your game's doing. Um, sell the fun, not the, not the technical aspects, yeah. because then people might pick up on that a bit more. It's why Nintendo are so good at what they do. Yeah, but I think, you know, that's entirely true. I, I think there's more of a level to the 30 frames debate, uh, just that it does introduce input lag and, you know, that, that makes it less responsive. And I think where it, where that's important is you'll, to pick up on Nintendo, all of Nintendo's first party releases are 60 frames per second. And, and one of the reasons that they seem to be competing, you know, or are competing in terms of fidelity and fun with the AAA market outside of the Switch is because they always make sure they're 60 frames per second so they're smooth and they're responsive and you know it, it does it does make a big difference to their their business business model but i agree with you that in terms of like general tech again using the Switch as an example you know that's just nobody cares everyone's like yeah god it looks good enough for me you know it's uh, why why push the button? why do a cyberpunk 2077 um and make mistakes yeah. when you could just do something like hades that works flawlessly and looks nice yeah. <laughs> so but the difference being with with nintendo's first party output is yes it is 60 frames per second and it is important to a degree 
which makes me sound hypocritical. I get it's important that they can push that. But what they do, when have you ever heard Nintendo go, Super Mario Odyssey's out, 60 frames per second, high def graphics? Yeah. No, they don't. Whereas, well, you CD Projekt Red or Ubisoft, for example, the two of the best companies. Fuck's sake. <laughs> And with what the Watchdogs controversy, and now with Cyberpunk, they was pushing. Look, oh, look at these graphics, and this is how it's gonna run. We're, we're overselling it to you. Um, it's gonna run at these frames per second. It's gonna be 4K. You know, it can push to this. It can push to that. And then you can't make that, or it's not the same experience for everyone. And that's when you get your issues. Rather than going, hey, look, here's Watchdogs. It's a great open world game where it, there's a lot of freedom to it and the idea of hacking and stuff like that is funny. You put together a a small showcase of it. Don't oversell that showcase. Say with Cyberpunk, do what that is. Um, tell them what it is, but don't oversell what you don't, you're going to struggle to meet because that's what then leads to the crunch because you've then got to go, right, we've got this game. We think it's fun. Whether other people do or not doesn't matter, but we think this game is fun, but uh, we can't quite get it running the way we've promised. Okay, so we're now going to spend months or weeks more getting that done. Everyone's got to work overtime. And that's what causes this. Rather than doing what Nintendo do, which is we'll show it when it's nearly ready. Metroid uh, 4 being, uh, you know, an exception, I suppose. We'll show it when it's ready to get the right amount of hype. We'll make the game we're making. We'll go for fun and playability first. And then that should sell the game. Most of the big companies don't do that. They're going for... These are the numbers. This is what we think sells. Yeah, it, it isn't. Because I said, CD Projekt Red, I don't know how they recover from cyberpunk. Ubisoft are a joke. You know, when you take aside the actual vile nature of their business practice, or, you know, the abusive practices, sorry, within the business, take that out. Their actual games are a joke amongst gamers because they are all homogenized titles that you could just call Ubisoft title number whatever. And they still can't push the graphics the way they want to push them. Oh, they cause issues with them. There was a reason I still find Far Cry 2 to be one of my favourite Far Cries. Because it was innovative and it tried something different. I didn't care that you'd get some slowdown when the fires were spreading naturally and stuff like that. That was a cool thing. And it worked in the gameplay. And you could forgive it dropping those frame rates. But they didn't sell it on that. Yet when they start selling Watch Dogs 2, or Watch Dogs, sorry, as this amazingly realised world that will run like this and they're showing all these shadows that were never possible to do on the hardware they were selling it, then that's when you start to get the negatives. And then that's already buggered you up for Watch Dogs 2 and things like that because people will look at Watch Dogs 2 and go, well, Watch Dogs was a letdown, The Division was a letdown, and it, it leads to those problems. And I say, Nintendo... And this video isn't sponsored by Nintendo, by the way. Get this right. They get a lot wrong. Their online and all that is, is, is We know that. But they get a lot right, which is, this is a game we're making. This is when we're going to market it. You'll get this at some point this year, usually within three to six months. Yeah. And it's going to be fun. That's how you should market a game. That should always be the first and foremost thing. Is the game fun? Getting the right message. It's either fun or we've got a story to tell. Not... It's going to be this. And I think it's almost a shame for the developers of Watch Dogs Legion that Ubisoft the bed for everything else. Yeah. Because from what I understand, Watch Dogs Legion was 
a much better looking game and they sold it on the the story and the fun aspect because i don't remember any of the marketing up to it leading up to it going oh my god look at how good watch dogs legion looks it was about this is what you can do within the world and this is the idea and um you know if you look at what's happening in the uk at the moment well maybe this is what can happen beyond and it tried to use that um and I feel they marketed that right, and I'm, but I say unfortunately for their movie software, a bunch of wankers, and I'll never get to play it. Um, but yeah, they got it right then. So I, I, I don't know what point I'm trying to make, apart from it would be nice if people actually marketed their games based on what they actually were and not how nice they look and how well they're meant to run. Yeah, I, I think that it helps. I mean, probably a debate for another day, but. It helps when you have a single platform release because you can work towards the strengths of that machine. And I think the things that are multi-platform, people tend to work from the best machine down, which is never a good idea. Always start with the base model and get it working as perfectly as you can without any real proper flaws and then increase, you know, allow certain machines like your PS5s or, you know, your PCs to have options to make it better, but get it working perfect on the base model yep. before you add anything extra into it. Yep. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And coming from someone who's done web design, when you still have to design websites to run, it's maybe changed now slightly, but until very recently, had to design websites to run with nigh on obsolete versions of Internet Explorer because of the amount of people that still had it, and then build up from that, or at least have the fallbacks for it. You always go, right, what's the smallest screen someone uses? It's a mobile device. So you build from mobile first to make sure it looks good there, and then you can go more and more fancy, the bigger resolution the screen. So you can have a really fancy-looking website on a desktop, it's got all the animations with it if it needs it. All the little wonderful flashies with the like fonts doing certain things. But but at its core level, on a mobile, it's readable, it's functional, and stuff like that. So yeah, with games, it should be the same. If you're what what are you aiming for? Are you aiming for a Switch as well? And are you aiming for a top end PC? Right, build to the Switch first, and then go up or do what we used to do back in the 80s and 90s completely separate games yeah um yeah. and i'll use you know i would i would have loved to have played a um version of say watchdogs for example where there was a big boy console version that was bells and whistles and then there was a almost like a handheld version that was just mainly maybe not open well but was a lot of structured missions I would have been more than happy with that. I've always said one of the best things about the VMU on the Dreamcast, or one of the things I always do was there was I can't remember what game it was, but you played the main game and then you had um, these little pet things you could then download to the VMU and take them about with you and play them as like a little virtual pet and then yeah. level them up within the VMU and take them back into the game leveled up. Um, that was brilliant. The idea there was brilliant and. I would love something like like that for other games. Again, I, I've said before, The Witcher 3, or even The Outer Worlds, things like that. By the way, The Outer Wilds is coming to the Switch. Can't wait. Yeah. But The Outer Worlds, I want to play the main game on my PC, or on the Xbox, or whatever, because that's going to be the optimal experience. But I want to potter around on the Switch. 
Um, so cross save or allow me to do something with more sort of like side missions, like structured side missions that I can play on the Switch version. Don't have to make it the full version of the game. It can be its own thing. And, I, and then have them maybe link in some way. Use what technologies we've got to bring the experiences together. Rather than going, here's the exact same game on another console. And one of the best examples I saw recently, I say recently, it's going back a few years now, is um, Killzone on the Vita. Absolutely, yeah. Apart from the stupid touchscreen gestures that I had to force in to try and prove that the touchscreen stuff was good. Wow. That game was almost perfect for the Vita. It was one of the yeah. best first-person shooters I've played on a handheld. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it linked into the main game story and stuff like that, but it's its own thing at the same time. The multiplayer on that was really good as well. Uh, I think a lot of people forget how good the multiplayer was on that game. But yeah, it, it was the... You know, in the same world of him, but it was made for the Vita. More of that, please. More of that. I think, yeah, exactly. You're going to get the best out of everything if you if you make it specific to the, to a machine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but I won't argue. I'm one of those that caused a problem by seeing a game and going, "When's the Switch version coming out?" Yeah. <laughs> but then the Switch is its own thing because it, again, it's it's a hybrid console, so it's kind of yeah. I think it was around the time, I think you looked, what would you say, between maybe 2010 to 2015 almost, that public, big publishers were scared of trying new things because you feel it was a case of if something didn't sell millions because of the amount of money they were pumping into it, then it was a failure. Yeah. Dead Space, for example, was enough to sort of like almost shut down visible games. That, I mean, they did in the end, but um, that was enough to destroy them despite making millions. It just didn't make enough millions. Um, so I don't know whether they were scared of trying new things or, or anything like that. And I think they're now struggling to keep up with indies in terms of innovation. But yeah, it'd be. I don't think we'll ever go back to that time where innovation happens on a console basis, but one can dream. Maybe one Yeah, day. you never know. And I think, I would like to think that as time goes on, that people creating their own games for older consoles, obsolete consoles, might become much more of a thing because of a lower barrier to entry, you know, because it's easy to program for and because you don't have to pay rights and things like that. And you might see more of them. So, yeah, fingers crossed, especially with FPGA making, you know, getting hold of these things much easier and cheaper. So, yeah, yeah, fingers crossed, eh? Yeah, and um, that's Donkey Kong 94. No, we wasn't even talking about that, was we? had moved God, on. I don't know. We've been, <laughs> yeah, about fifth. We were fifty-two minutes in at the moment on the on the counter, so that's quite a while. Wow. So, I right, kind of almost finish off everything, unless I say unless you have anything specific you want to talk about. But on obviously my ongoing eye struggles, um, I'm sleeping a lot because I'm sitting there and going, "Well, I can't see much," so I'm closing my eyes and listening. So I'm nodding off a lot and having sort of like 20 minute power naps left, right and centre. Yeah. Um, and it's so I'm not I'm not doing much. So I am kind of keep nodding off, having sort of like little sleeps. And then when it comes to going to bed, I'm, I'm wired almost and can't go to sleep. Um, and then I'm tired the next day and then it's easy just to drop off. As I almost missed the podcast today because I, I nodded off at about um, half nine. <laughs> and um, But I've got, hopefully some good news on the horizon um saw a specialist on the monday and they looked at both of my eyes um and just for anyone who doesn't know i'm 
pretty much completely blind in my left eye, which needs my cataracts removing and my retina reposition back into place. Um, and my right eye has just got too many hemorrhages um, and there's some detachment of the retina on my right eye. But anyway, they put me in for surgery on Thursday to work. They was going to work originally on the left eye because that needs more attention. But there's more chance of saving my vision in the right eye. So they're going to do that one. Um, and then obviously if I lose complete vision in my left eye, so be it. Why is there no bionic eyes yet, by the way? But anyway. I know, yeah. All the stuff we can do, you would have thought they could a little camera in your glass one eye. One day. That would have been... Yeah, one day. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so that that's happening. Um, but he kind of sat me down during the thing because I, I said I, I've got to have it under general because of the phobia I have with my eyes being touched. And he said to me, he goes, right, if you have a general, you're looking at weeks, if not months, before you can get a surgery. If you have local, I can get you in Monday. So what is the fear? Uh, when I can't, like, the idea, I can't even put contacts in, you know, touching, like, my eye being touched, I just can't do. He turned there and went, well, you've sat there during the, um, during me, like, while I've been looking at your eyes and diagnosing, you sat there calmer than most um, and stiller than most. I went, yeah, but you're not actually touching my eye, are you? And he kind of looked at me and went, yeah. All right. I went, what? And he went, he went, so he goes, do you know when we put the, like, the, um, uh, he says, when we put the magnifying, it's not a magnifying glass, I can't remember what he said it was, but it's a little thing they put to your eyes and they can see better in it. It's got like a, it's got a lens in it, a lens, I suppose. Um, he put that there. He goes, that's actually touching your eyeball. I went, what? He went, yeah, it's touching your eyeball. You sit there calmly for that. I, went, I didn't know that was touching my eyeball. He went, right, it is. And it's going to be no worse than that. And I went, what about the injection? And he said, he goes, not going to lie, it will sting briefly because how many injections you had and i said oh plenty he went no worse than that um, he goes you're building it up because it's your eye you've got a phobia right honestly it's it's going to be a slight bit of pain as it goes in or a sharp scratch as it goes in but it'll be fine after that um he goes but i'll leave it up to you um and i just he went all you've got to do and uh, th- th- this is this is you can tell this is an adhd brain that's then working around so he's talking he's going all you've got to do is lay there for about 60 to 90 minutes after the injection while we do the operation. I went, what? I can lay down? He went, yeah. I went, yeah, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) And he went, what? And I went, yeah, no, I'm in. He goes, okay. I said, right, I need to suck it up anyway because if I don't, it's going to get worse and I I can't do the things I enjoy at the moment and I feel useless. I need it done, so I'm going to suck it up anyway. And he went, right, and I said... But it gets uncomfortable when you're sat there and you've got your chin resting on the thing, your forehead against the, the blocker, and they're looking in your eyes. So it gets uncomfortable. When I've had laser, that's the thing. It gets uncomfortable. And uh, that's the thing I want to end. He went, no, you lay down for this. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it then. Excellent. And he went, he went right, okay. He goes, what you should do is call your GP and see if he can prescribe you a pill for to take on the morning that will help relax you because he goes you probably will tense up a bit when you when you get the injection it goes it'll just help relax you and keep you sort of a lot more mellow for for the um for for the first part of the operation but he went after that it should be fine um and then hopefully you know your vision will be sort of like on on its way to being mended um but so yeah um i'm i'm hoping to get a lollipop on thursday for being a brave little soldier yeah i bloody well hope so yeah you've you've put up with all this really well um 
that's really good. So, did they say what the chances of success are on the doing the operation? Uh, no, I didn't want to know either. Yeah, because I'd pa- I'd panic and worry about it. If he turned around and went, oh, it's 50-50, I'd be like, oh, crap, that's me dead. Well, not dead, that's a bit too far, that's me blind. And if he'd have turned around and gone, yeah, we've got like a 95% chance of it, I'd have been sort of like, oh, this is awesome. This is, uh, I'd have built it up as like, I'm going to be absolutely fine. And then I'd have sat there just before going, I'm going to be in that 5%. Yeah, it's clearly going to be that. So I didn't want, I didn't want to know. I know it's a risk and I know there's a chance it's, it might not be saved. But then at the same time, if I don't get it done, then I'm just going to get worse and worse anyway. So um, there's, there's that side to it. So yeah, I didn't didn't really want to know because I didn't want to have that going around my head constantly. Yeah. No, no, that's fair enough. Yeah, totally get it. Uh, but the frustrating thing is I get like bouts during the day where I can kind of read. So I kind of read stuff and go, I'll reply to that. And then can't because I can't read the letters I'm meant to be typing properly on the phone. It's really weird because I can bring the phone close to me and I can kind of read stuff on there. But the computer screen is still too blurry for me to concentrate on what's there. Yeah, I get it. Uh, But the TV, I can kind of make out. It's a really weird depth thing going on. Um, But yeah, not enough to ever reply to stuff. Yeah, um, no, it makes sense. So, so yeah, but overall, so hopefully this time, but well, by the time everyone's listening to this, I might even be able to see again, or at the very least by the next recording. Fingers crossed. Excellent. Yeah, no, we're all hoping for the best and expecting it as well. So, yeah, hopefully by Thursday, Friday, things are looking up. Uh, yeah. Well, I know it's a shambles without me. Absolutely. Well, before before we go. We started obviously getting a bit of um, feedback via the Discord on, on the podcast um, the last time we put out. So what I'm going to be doing, once my eyes are better, I'm going to set up a new email on uh, for people to read us on, which is going to be podcast at mentalhealthgaming.com. Won't work yet. Not done it. So don't email in yet. Where I'm going to ask people just to send emails, whether it's comments about games or us or they've got questions. Everything you send in, unless you say specifically, we'll read out as anonymous, especially if it's on the mental health side of things. But yeah, we're going to get that email set up as another thing so you can email there um, with any comments, anything you want to add to the podcast, especially if you're bored of me going down my own roads with stuff as well. But yeah, that's going to be set up in the next couple of weeks. Good, good stuff. So yeah, all that remains to be said is Follow us on said Discord. Great chat going on there and lots of great people and talking about all sorts from games to TV to mental health issues, everything in between. And loads of content on YouTube and all the other socials, so make sure you're following. If you want to support us financially and you can afford it, then we're available on Patreon or via coffee donation. Other than that, hope you're staying sane... Oh, God, messed that up. <laughs> Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying (laughs) safe. I can't get that sentence out. I'm giving up. Sod you all. (laughs) Have a terrible week. No, I'm just messing. So have a good week and stay safe.